0: And welcome to the 11th edition of the Work Healthy podcast. Today, we feature a Finnish company that has grown from 50 employees to 800. We talk to the co-founder of Futurist, Thomas Sirian, and their chief care officer, Maria Colunas, about the painful process of scaling a company. We talk culture, peer control versus managerial control, radical transparency, alignment, and trust. Why tracking strategy on a weekly basis is smarter. Why we need to get diversity, equity and inclusion out of HR and into the general business. Why they ask their salespeople to pitch for work that their employees love. How they fire clients who are bad for employee wellbeing and how they support long-term employees to become entrepreneurs. And finally, why they give their people freedom to design and redefine their roles. I first started by asking Thomas why culture is so important to futurists.
1: Yeah, so it's been over 20 something years already, and and I think that that maybe the sort of the background for this is that that we really came to realize this roughly 2008 uh, through the growth pains. But maybe I start from the the reason why culture is so important first, and then I go go back into the history to how how we became who we are. But but if we think of like a consultancy business like like futures businesses, that that I think the culture is also how people behave, like how people sort of like act on the client front, like how how much there's energy, how proactive people are, how people sort of like uh, talk with clients. I think all that is a really critical part of, of the, the the sort of the the value or the kind of the, the promise towards clients. And it's also part of the promise towards people that, that hey, it's, it's actually said, so yes, we are sort of like, we want to be a sort of like a demanding high performance working place, but also like, how, how do we, how do we make sure that people have high motivation, high energy? So how do we keep people autonomy? How do we keep people sort of that they learn that they can actually do two topics and that that they want to work with and, and, and things like that. So. And also, of course, like one critical part of the culture that is that we we want to give people freedom to actually try out new things. And and again, like I think that's really critical part of our business success is that we keep on renewing. And and of course, during these 23 years, we have had good times. We have had less than good times. And I think it. But I think it's always come back to that: that are we are we pushing the boundaries all the time? And when you said that 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 we do things differently, yes, I think that's one part of the company DNA is that we want to push the boundaries. We want to challenge the convention. So that's the kind of the, the, I would say the kind of the long-lasting sort of like competitive uh, approach that we have, and and how we came to actually think about it is that I think that for the first maybe five six years we didn't think that much of a culture or leadership system or management system or things like that because we just wanted to do do good things. We want to actually we wanted to be a good working place. We wanted to to sort of like um, get things done. Um, the positive thing is that we didn't have any sort of like major backgrounding what it's like to run a, a company. So we kind of like started thinking uh, from the sort of like blank sheet of paper that hey, how how would a company work? And then then sort of that uh, that we 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 started doing things. People seemed to enjoy. We we started growing at some point, and and then came 2008, and. Uh, we reached the kind of the level of being a real company, meaning 60, 70 people, and, and suddenly we realized that that actually it doesn't work anymore. So if the previous during the previous years we, we gave people a lot of freedom and transparent like freedom to to decide and and we didn't that much pay attention to this kind of management system, but everything worked. But in 2008, nothing worked anymore. So so from that so I also became a CEO 2008, and I felt that people are now making wrong decisions. Um, people also felt that they don't know anymore what's going on in the company. And uh, then of course, a lot of like people saying that now that we're a real company, we need to do things things like x, y, and z. And did you, that, just so that I understand,
2: are you basically saying that once you got to a critical number of people at 80, suddenly everything changed because you, you couldn't have those kind of maybe the uh, the impact of you talking to people, knowing everybody and the like. So uh, there yeah. was a change that was needed. How did you know it wasn't working? When What signals did you get that kind of gave you the impression, OK, it, we've got to do something?
1: Yeah, people started complaining that, that, that they don't know anymore what happens in the company. People, like I started feeling that people make wrong decisions. Um, there was more and more sort of like emergent need that hey, we need to have some control here. So we like uh, people started also complaining that, hey, this is not sort of like uh, aligned anymore. So all sorts of like growth pains and, uh, and, and yes, sort of like during those days, 2008, we didn't know of any better. We knew that we need to change the company because we become a real company. So, and that's why we kind of like bought bought a lot of books from Amazon, how to scale a company. <laughs> okay, And uh, and all those books said in 2008 that that, that that the company changes when it becomes a real company, you need to start building hierarchy, you need to build controls, you need to have a decision making sort of governance and all those kind of things. And and yes, we did start building those because we didn't know of any better, but but after a couple of months, uh, somebody sort of like, because it didn't feel right, but then somebody asked the question that, that we have roughly the same people as we had like one year before. One year before we felt that people are good and responsible and, and they can make like good decisions by themselves. And now we come to the conclusion that people are stupid or people are irresponsible that we can't let them to make any more their own decisions. And then the person sort of asked that, is it really so that people have changed so that they become sort of like irresponsible or has the system changed somehow and, and is something else wrong? And and then we kind of came to a conclusion that people are still good and uh, something else has changed. And then we went on a journey. It, it Luckily, it didn't take us many months, but it took us on a journey to like, start looking that why do small companies operate quite smoothly? Why do small companies are quite like nice and, and healthy and, and, and great places to work? And why do bigger companies easily become bureaucratic, have all sorts of hierarchy and have all those kind of things? And, and then we started identifying topics like transparency that small companies are transparent by nature. Everybody knows what colleagues are doing. Everybody knows what's going on with clients. Everybody knows or senses what's going on with financials. So and there were a lot of like transparency also brings quite positive control. So peer control versus managerial control this. And then we started realizing that that we need to build transparency. Then we also realized that small companies have typically quite common thinking. So, So people think alike. And of course, we don't want people to think too much alike, but also like it's an alignment of thinking that that sort of we don't need that much of alignment of individual decisions or individual sort of like topics because people are thinking reasonably to the same direction. And then we also realized that people don't know anymore, understand their role in the business when we kept growing. So people need to understand that how they are contributing to the business. So and then when we realized these topics, we just sort of decided that let's see whether we can replicate these characteristics while we grow. So we started working with transparency we started sharing a lot of information we started having all sorts of sort of sessions where we share like not just financials but but all other things and then we also realized that actually transparency is a really good control so we started moving from kind of manager control to transparency let's take like Travis expense claims or credit card purchases so we decided that instead of asking people to Sort of like have a traditional travel expense claim sort of approval process. We we decided that people just put the travel expense claims into the system, and but it's shared with everybody in the company so that everybody can see like who's who's spending money and how and and people can see who's who's attending which conference and things like that. And uh, so I, I think that when we got these principles, so we started understanding how to actually replicate the small company approach in a bigger scale. It wasn't that difficult to implement those, like when we were roughly 100 people or even 150 people. So so we just had to maybe, maybe the biggest topic was to actually challenge the conventions, how organizations operate, because I think the traditional convention is that we need controls. We need somebody else to decide. We we don't want to share things. We don't want to share salaries. We don't want to share like uh, expense claims. We don't want to share. So we decided let's let's more like share let's, let's make it transparent. So so the 2008 was a really defining moment for us on this journey. So that 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 we decided to try out can we build a different kind of organizational setup than. am oh,
2: I am I right in saying you didn't kind of you know sit down and say these are the values that we're going to have in the company? The the values nearly evolved from you analyzing what um, the literature was saying should be done and recognizing that most of those companies that went that route uh, fell into a range of problems, dealing with sort of control and power and politics and hierarchies and frustrations and all of that. And you said, hold on a second, let's not go there. Let's try and do this differently. And then you sort of analyzed what, what were the things that were kind of going wrong and how could you build something that would make that go right? So transparency then became a value of the company simply yeah. in response rather than been kind of created by a PR agency or something.
1: Yes, I would say so. And and also, I think that it's actually quite, an. Um, such a, I can't remember exactly which year, but it was many years later when some of our people started saying that, hey, now we need to actually document our values because I don't think we had documented our values for the first maybe 12, 15 years or something like that. But then people, like when we were like several hundred people already, people started, hey, now we need to document those. And then we actually, instead of like having a workshop on, let's figure out our values, the, the workshop were about like, let's sort of identify the ones, the values that we actually already have in the organization. And, 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 and then we actually were able to actually, how to say, describe our values after those. I can't remember what year it was exactly, sure. yeah. exactly. And but it was like maybe 15 years after we founded the company.
2: So uh, because one of the things I think this is perfect for any startup to listen to, right, because Mm -hmm. they have the opportunity to kind of put these things in place from the get go. Right. Whereas if you're an existing organization with all these hierarchies and structures and privacy and all of that in place, it's kind of hard, isn't it, to turn around and suddenly say, Oh, we're going to go for salary transparency. Everybody's going to know, and suddenly they, you know, these organizations got to. We can't let everybody know what everybody's on because there will be carnage. Yeah. So, um, have have you? Because I know you talk a lot to a lot of different organizations. Have
1: have organizations tried what you've done and kind of um, had a few problems? I I think that yeah, of course, and and I think that one needs to sort of like. Uh, start carefully even when when we decided to go towards like salary transparency we didn't do it like we didn't mandate it immediately it was first on a voluntary basis and and even there the kind of the, the the message was that actually the reason for doing that is fairness so that that we wanted to make sure that that we actually have fair salaries and and the best mechanism that we could figure out is that let's make them as public as possible so people can actually react To the the, like felt unfair, so we can fix it, because like I think easily if we if we hide things, if we don't publicize them, we can't sort of we don't know whether they're fair or whether there's like or like there's no let's say urgent need to fix them. And I think this transparency is a is a really good way to make sure that the kind of the company stays clean on 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 many fronts. And I have to say, uh, even when I was a CEO, the self control created by transparency is is huge because there's always a little temptation to, for example, when you're hiring somebody to ease the hiring process by maybe giving a slightly like too high salary or or some extra perk. But when you know that actually everybody in the company will most probably know about it immediately, it creates a self-control. Mm-hmm. And, and I did sometimes, I, I had a couple of times, I actually did something that I, I maybe sort of like felt that it's not uh, exactly like like the whole system works, and I knew that I will need to respond that in front of the whole co- company. Mm-hmm. but I, I still made the choice, and then I told the, the whole company that I know that I broke the rules a bit, but but I did it for this reason. And I think this also I think this is a good mechanism, this kind of transparency that 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 you cannot hide and and you need to know that you you will respond to the whole company immediately when you do things. and and that creates a really healthy sort of balance. Mm. I'd say it's really interesting because you see this with football teams all
2: the time when you know there's a player that they just make that break in the pay structure to bring in but yeah, the yeah. the effect that that has on everybody else is slightly uh, different but I, I also think it's brilliant because um people who maybe aren't brilliant negotiators um uh, maybe people who are quite sort of you know laid back um and and oftentimes it can happen with um females in organisations can suddenly, when there's paid transparency, they suddenly realize they've been paid way below what their male colleagues have been paid. So I think it's fantastic that all of that is out in the open and uh, none of that uh, hopefully exists in a situation where you have paid transparency.
1: Yeah. And maybe, maybe sort of, I just want to highlight something here is that that I don't want to give a wrong impression that we don't have problems. I think we have a lot of problems all the time. I think that the kind of the, 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 the the point is that how do we make sure that the problems are visible and the problems are transparent, and then we can address them? Almost mm. always, we actually realize that if a certain problem is for too long, it, the, the kind of the root cause is that there's no transparency. Mm. So, so, and I think this is also something that that in a in a real company, in a real situation, there are always problems. The only question is that how do you handle them? Do you make them transparent and you you address them and and things like that. So I don't I want to give a, a too rosy picture
2: of. No, I, I I get it, I get it. There's no perfection out there. Trust me. I think uh, we, we see that life is messy, and um, we're all just trying to work out what's right. And um, but I think there are, it's important to have some guiding principles uh, yep. in, in place that you kind of hold yourself accountable to. And I I think it's interesting because there's been lots of work done on on the values that work uh, that countries. And people in those nationalities in those countries hold dear to them. And it's interesting because it's your Finnish background uh, that in the Nordics, oftentimes the, the one you mentioned there, freedom is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, so h- how if if I was to join Futures, how can I get a sense of that as something that's really important?
3: Basically, like I think that the freedom is that we all are kind count- of. Kind of like we call that we it's our ship. so basically we want people to take responsibility on on this ship and and also they do have like freedom to fix those for instance those problems and 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 things which are not not. Um, not um, as good as they should be so I think like this type of attitude is something that we of course need to onboard also our people this because often when they come from different environment they are kind of like expecting that okay someone else is fixing things and but then then it's kind of like our duty during the onboarding process to tell people tell about our values and tell that hey actually like if you if you see something is not 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 okay just Start fixing it. Ask help, and and let's make m- make it work. So I think that that is one thing about freedom that we don't that much look at the titles or roles that who should be like doing something. But but you have the freedom also to start start uh, making and, this better.
2: And so I mean, in your values, it's it's really down to trust, isn't it? And and this yeah. constant idea that you have that trust is not uh, earned. That it's actually just given from the very very start. Mm.
3: Yes, yes, definitely. So so that's that's how it is, and 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 therefore, for instance, like giving the company credit cards for everybody who starts at Futures is one one way to uh, demonstrate the the trust value that that we wanna avoid kind of those approval processes and and so forth. But everybody have the company credit cards, so if they need to do certain purchases. Uh, which are work-related, they can easily do those without kind of the, all the hassle and the processes.
2: Sure. So so there's no real sign-off process or, you know, uh, different levels of authority or the like. So you're breaking all those sort of hierarchies down. I, is it a very flat structure in Futurist or uh, have, uh, have you had to have some levels of hierarchy?
1: Maybe. Yeah. Maybe sort of like... Um let's let's put it this way personally, uh, I believe in in sort of like information flatness so that 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 everybody in the company should should operate with with practical the same information so that 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 hierarchy is not a sign of like a, that information is not a sign of like hierarchy that that we limit. Of course, there are certain topics like HR will see certain information that nobody else will see it, of course like that. but otherwise, I think that uh, and and we do have a hierarchy, so we we are not like a like a completely a flat organization, but I think the kind of the message is that the hierarchy has its purpose. So like whether it's like looking across the different sort of like time horizons or different perspectives, but we want to also avoid the kind of the maybe the bad characteristics of, of hierarchy, like access to certain information or or certain extra sort of privileges and, and things like that. And, and maybe as a personal sort of like comment, uh, like I think that if we when I look at different kind of organizations that are going for pure flatness, I think it's it's quite often it becomes a sort of different kind of hierarchy. So at least I personally prefer to have a clear certain hierarchy and getting trying to re, uh, get rid of the kind of the back si- signs of hierarchy. But I I don't believe in personally that 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 a completely non-hierarchical organization really operates mm-hmm. effective, effectively or efficiently.
3: Mm. There have been also discussions just lately about uh, self-managing organizations yeah. without any supervisors, and and for me personally, that sounds a bit like uh, uh, leaving people too alone. So so basically, for instance, at Futurist, we do have supervisors. Everybody has their own supervisor, and but um, but the role of the supervisors is be there be the one also they're like coaching coaching the person and 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 helping the person to set the goals for for them and and so forth so just like uh, leaving people too alone i i don't believe in that so therefore i also also think that in the name of of transparency also i think it's better to have like a clear roles and it doesn't mean that you have like really hierarchical organization because of that.
2: Absolutely. Role clarity is, is really important in terms of people's health, because that's when oftentimes people can get sick when there is no clarity around, you know, who they're responsible to and what they're responsible for. So mm-hmm. uh, that, that clarity really helps people in terms of just the the other two um, uh, values. And by the way, anybody listening, um, Futures have actually published and um, their uh, culture handbook, which is a 98 page document, which actually has all this information in it. And I, I just think it's a, it's a beautiful thing that you've done to to share so openly um, with everybody. But of course, you guys know very clearly that you can't copy culture because, um, yeah, there's there's words there. But, you know, it's the people uh, that bring it alive and it's your knowledge of of how to uh, make that happen and your beliefs in it uh, that are really important. So care is um, the third uh, value that you, you have here. Could you talk a little bit about what that looks like in Futurist?
3: Yeah, do you want to almost maybe tell that how how this care value actually came as one of our values, like from the history point of view, I can then build on top of that. Yeah,
1: yes, and uh, yeah, I, I think the kind of the the sort of the the if I start like the transparency, I think that was the realization early in 2008, and then like kind of the trust has been there from the beginning. But at the same time, I think that the caring—I think that that it's been different, maybe ways of expressing it. But but I think we learned quite early on that 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 we need to care about our colleagues, we need to care about the the client and the and the and the customers. As long as we care, I think we are in a rather sort of like good situation because that means that we actually. Pay attention to to topics. We actually try a bit harder. We we make sure that that, that we we get the outcomes that are desired. Uh, We look after people's interests. We look after like we try to help people to succeed. And I think it's really crucial for for this kind of organization to to succeed both towards the clients, but also towards the people. And and, and that's the kind of, and even still today, I feel that, that as long as we care about what we do, as long as we care about our clients, as long as we care about our colleagues, I think we have like a successful formula in our hands.
2: Uh, I I, I just I always remember when you talked about this before, um, a a couple of things that uh, stood out for me was um, your desire to understand people and the type of work they actually enjoyed doing. Obviously, they could do any work, but and and then actually getting your people uh, to go out and sell those projects yes. um, and maybe you're talking to that and the the, the second one was actually just uh, recognizing that some clients were bad for your employees health <laughs> so <Yes. laughs> chat, chat about those please
1: yes uh, and actually uh, yeah actually like like if i start from the a bit more uh, positive side of it, i think that we also learned that as when we care about our clients and we look after their interest they're also willing to look after our interest mm-hmm. and i have had several cases where we we We'll tried to look after clients' interest, and when we ended up in trouble, it was perfectly okay to ask help from from our clients. And I think uh, this is also like personally something that I remember when we started, because many people said that in business you need to be tough. in, bis- in business, you you, you you need to sort of like act in a certain self-interest way. and And I think that we, many times we learn that yes, we we, will, we don't want to sacrifice our own self-interest, but we want to care about the client, and when we do that, we actually can build on top of that. But then there has been always like a few, like let's say um, counter examples from time to time, from the client point of view, that some of some of those clients from time to time misused our trust. And and we we even had to tell a couple of ones that, that unfortunately we will not work with you anymore because it doesn't seem that we kind of have the same, let's say like approach or same basic thinking of how things work. For example, some clients called our people during the weekends to make them work so, uh, because we well, one of the promise that we give to people and the clients is that everybody sees the client, and clients will see the people, so that they can, they can talk directly, so that it's much more smooth at the communication. But of course, then one client out of hundred or something like that misused that trust and started calling our people during Saturdays and asking them to do stuff for them, which of course wasn't okay. And and uh, that's the kind of the maybe from from two points of view that 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 were like. How do we make sure that we, we build a healthy relationship with our clients? And at the same time, we also need to protect that from time to time. Luckily, not that often, but sometimes we do.
3: I'm just thinking about the value care and, and how you can f- feel and sense that at Futurist. I think that uh, we have like super diverse uh, work environment. We have over 50 different nationalities working at Futurist. And I I, I think that... As we have like really kind of like we really true care about our people, we do care about each other and 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 that creates like really really kind of like a respectful working environment. And I think that that enables this diverse working environment. And um, one maybe example about the care is also that uh, in many other companies, uh, uh, they have human resource department, but but at is we we don't want to call people resources, and therefore we have uh, our our human resource function is called human care function, and I think it's a quite nice also that how it it tells quite much about our approach and and Absolutely. values
2: and I, I remember from last time um, y- you were very passionate about the idea of um dei um taking it out of hr um y- you felt that that really just needed to be part and parcel of the business it wasn't sitting in in a one department and they had ownership for it that basically everybody has ownership for that
3: yeah i think it's the same that everybody has ownership on building company culture and everyone has responsibility for building diverse company culture. So it can't be owned by HR or any other department. So I think that's like really, really like important uh, thing to understand. Hmm. Yeah.
2: So the the last of those values is uh, continuous improvement. So how, how what does that look like
1: in futures? Maybe if I if I start, Maria can continue maybe i sort of like now maybe if i reflect the three other conversations or so the, the values so if i start like from this kind of like uh, okay it wasn't a value but but we started from freedom so one of the things is that we also want to give people freedom in their how they define and design their roles so we don't have very strict roles of course we want to be, make sure that then everybody knows the expectations but but we want people to tailor also their roles um, and then, of course, like then the question is also how do we then actually, like, like you, John said that, like, how do we find work? And of course, big part of the kind of the flow is that customer have a need and we will match that to the, to the, our skills and capabilities and experience. But of, yes, sometimes we actually do it the other way around that we actually try to find like suitable work, what people want to do. And, and as recently, actually, we've been also applying data there so that we can actually identify better and better sort of like potential clients uh, based on data and and potential needs internally and and use data to make sure that we actually match people on a global level to to the cases that they want to work with because we realize that that's a big part of the retention. But then we come back to this kind of continuous improvement and maybe at a high level, like I think it's really important that a company is always on a journey somewhere. We can't stay still. If we stay still, we are going backwards. And the same applies to people. So, so people need to be on a journey, because when we are on a journey, the motivation is higher, the energy is higher, people are learning. Of course, there are like uh, like life situations where somebody is not on a journey like professionally for, for some time, and that's perfectly fine. But overall, I think that the continuous improvement goes on this kind of that that are people on a journey, is the company on a journey, and if, if people are on a journey, how do we tailor then the roles to fit that journey? How do we then make sure that people get the support that they need? And and things like that. So that's that's maybe sort of like how I see the kind of the continuous improvement. And finally, always let's challenge the convention. I think the the best innovations, the best cases where we challenge the convention that hey, this is done for 10 years, 50 years the same way. Maybe we can think differently in the in the today's circumstances.
2: Hmm. And and so those have uh, been in place now for for quite a while and you're very passionate about them the the world changed uh, during the pandemic and um i i think pr- probably if i'm right you you had a little bit of hybrid working anyway um mm-hmm. prior to the pandemic and i know people in in it and the the like in in that world were kind of better positioned uh, for the the transition that took place but talk to me about that that whole uh, change to um I suppose a more defined hybrid working model. Uh, the the world um, that we're seeing is struggling a little bit with it. Um, but you've got some interesting sort of data coming through about uh, performance and productivity in that regard.
3: Hmm. I have to say that it was shock for us when when everybody needed to stay home and work from home, and we needed to kind of like uh, cancel all those events and and meetups and and face to face meetings. So. Uh, and we were discussing a lot back then that, okay, how to create like a great remote culture. And we did our best. We tried all those tricks what every other company also was trying to, of course, find. But then uh, luckily when the world opened again and it was okay to go back to the offices, we we realized that actually our people, they are coming to the offices quite nice, quite quite many, many people. Uh, people actually wanted to return to the offices and, and started to arrange events and face-to-face meetings. We also noticed that we have been gathering some data that people who ha- who work mainly from the offices, so three to five days per week, that they are actually more engaged than the ones who, who uh, work mainly remotely. And as said, like, it, it can be like an egg and chicken problem in a way that we don't know uh, but anyways, what we know is that that we should invest in offices and face-to-face meetings and 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 also, of course, offer the flexibility, what we have always offered for people to also work remotely, because, for instance, today I'm working from home. It's quite convenient today for me. Uh, but but, yeah, so so I think that that data gave us also kind of like a bit evidence that let's let's. Uh, Keep boosting our company build, culture building and, and
2: yeah. And, and Marie, can I just drill into that a little bit? Yeah. When you say they're more engaged, uh, does that mean that it showed in terms of productivity figures uh, that you were looking at, or how did you see that engagement?
3: Uh, no, it's it's based on our people pulse uh, surveys. What we do regu- regularly, so how they feel about that? How uh, what is their kind of uh, engagement score? Employee engagement okay. score and and. How how they feel about the growth and and uh, and how satisfied they are and so
2: forth. Yeah, but but and did you have any data around productivity? Because I, I think the last time we spoke about this, you were sort of saying that you know there there was similar levels of efficiency, um in in terms of that, but there were other aspects that people were missing mm-hmm. out on in terms of let's say tacit learning and um, by actually being a, around each other and, you know, collaboration and, and teamwork mm-hmm. and, and the like. So did you did you find
1: those factors were reducing? What we sort of learned from our own data, but I think in general what we've done a lot is to, to, to read the kind of the academic uh, studies the kind of the, the learn, like, like what is the kind of difference between face to face and digital sort of like environments and how big part the physical environment is, for example, the knowledge flow. In the inside the organization. So I think that is also something that we learned, like let's say in hindsight, that when we started building the kind of social cohesion practices, like all sorts of events and 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 so on back in two thousand and eight, we also happened to build a actually sort of like a information knowledge flow setup where sort of people learn from each other and 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 people build a social network so that that they actually get into the the work that they are interested in. And and when the kind of the remote work began, actually, we also started looking into that kind of like studies and so on. And and there, I think that the kind of the the, the conclusion, what we came is that it, it might be that individual person short-term performance might be increased through remote work because you don't have distractions, but an organizational effectiveness actually takes quite a lot of hit because like lack of innovation, lack of sort of like uh, progress, lack of this kind of knowledge sharing that that is so difficult in in, in the digital space. And then of course we, we actually built all sorts of supporting tools and we have like use use this kind of support tools, for example, in the onboarding. How do we bring people into the organizational networks? How do they find relevant people? How do they find relevant topics from the organization using like data-driven tools that that we built during the past few years? And, and of course we can sort of support that. But I think that that anyway we still have the basic situation is that that face-to-face is for certain organizational sort of dimension, it's really critical. And we want to uh, also um, make sure that people meet each other. Face so to face. The,
2: the, the key thing is to to really create a compelling uh, company design uh, environment culture that people will actually want to make the effort to, to go to um, away from their warm homes. Yes, <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> Right. So, listen. Um, one of the things too that I, I I noticed. Um, you used to. I don't know if you still do it, but re-sign your talent on an annual basis. I I when when you said that last time I was chatting to you, I I thought that was really inspirational to do because just so many people kind of drift from from year to year. But this idea of nearly like um, a football team, kind of you know, re-signing <laughs> players and the like, I like it because it it really gives an opportunity to sort of say, we're not taking anything for granted, you know, and um, we we hope you'll stay, but uh, let's have this really good conversation to make sure everybody's okay. How
0: how does that work?
1: Of course, every organization talks with people frequently, and I think that that we also sort of like having those conversations and seeing like where people want to go and how to support them on this on this journey. And uh, and and then I also think that that we have different kind of people who are sort of like 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 uh, have a very long term sort of like futurist sort of carrier and and they have a rotations and and that is also discussed that hey now there's a uh, now 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 there's uh, maybe a sort of like time to to sort of rotate in a different role to get new energy and and that we also. on a very high level also with with our family company so that that we want to give our long-time employees opportunities to become entrepreneurs and i think that is also a kind of like a have been really good practice so for example there are several founders who've been with the company 10 15 years they've done all the different roles and maybe it's even fair to say that maybe they lost a little bit of energy during the the last years and then when they're given a sort of like an entrepreneurial opportunity in a family company and and they kind of like re-energized so, so I think so that,
2: just so that I understand that you, you
1: say, do, is that like a spin out company from Futurist and you let them lead that? Yes. So it's a kind of like typically it's a maturity owned. So it can be around e-commerce. That was the first one. or It can be around the Microsoft ecosystem. So because Futurist core is more about like open source. So the Microsoft ecosystem. So they are typically two or three founders. They own like significant amount of the company, Futurist owns maturity. They have entrepreneurial risk and reward. Um, And and they build a new business uh, with their kind of like sub brand to the futurist group. And, uh, and, and so I think this kind of like, like maybe the resigning is a maybe a bit bit extreme way to put it, but I think that it's always also looking from the individual's point of view that, okay, where are they going? Are they on a journey that is the need for rotation? What kind of role is, is, is good when sometimes it can be rather extreme that they become entrepreneurs, which I think is a really good learning. You you
2: talk about energy. Energy comes from being excited about what you're doing, uh, having the purpose and passion, and getting into flow on a regular basis. Um, That's that's you know if if you're in doing the same thing for 20 years, it's very difficult to have that. So it's great to kind of have those conversations and uh, put people in new roles and uh, keep them excited and energized. Uh, We're just coming to the end of the 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 time together, so uh, I'm just interested in your view of the future. Where where do you think uh, we're heading? What are the the obstacles in our way? But on a, on a positive, what things do you think are going to be different in terms of workplaces uh, going forward?
3: Maybe one thing what I, what I have been like when it comes to like people people matters. What I've been thinking now is that as the world has been quite unstable for a while now, first the pandemic and now the war and and so forth. So I think that and there are a lot of discussions around like how people are not feeling good and, and and a lot of burnouts and so forth so I think that what will be at least on my table in in human human care team is that to to really try to make at least the workplace so that here we have like a, some so, something is clear here we have some like everybody knows what is expected what I, I can feel that I, I get something done and I have a like a, I belong to something. I have a community where I belong to. And I think pretty actually basic things. But as the world is so complex and, and messy now and unstable, I think that some like clarity is needed. And and maybe that's something what, what we can also offer for people.
2: So stability in a time of
1: instability, yeah? Yeah. 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 And would... Thomas, from your point of view? Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's a like this is of course maybe a little bit quite close to my current role, which is like 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 putting data in the core of all sorts of like knowledge processes. But I strongly believe that the data is a game changer in many ways because like we can finally start helping people to succeed. So we can actually capture and channel organizational knowledge. We can we can help uh, people to get into the, the, the project that they want to get in on a global level, because in a, in a in the historical way, before we had data in our use, we we, were, we we had to do local staffing because we want to take people into account in the staffing. But that means that there's too much complexity if we try to do that on a global level. So, But now that we have data, we can start matching people's desires into the incoming cases on a global level. There's so many different examples, and I think we can even change the whole paradigm of like how organizations operate. Think about current IT systems. They are not helping people to succeed. Like, CRMs, they are helping to consolidate data to the management, or they are forcing people to follow process. So I think when we start having this kind of setup where we help people to succeed, whether it's like channeling knowledge, channeling people to the right sort of like uh, cases, whether it's like giving people indication, who should that they, they talk to. And I think that's a game change. And I, I strongly believe that will will change the kind of the, the, the nature of, of knowledge work going forward. And it, it's also changing our Work at the moment, we can make the company much more transparent. We are, for example, tracking our strategy progress on a weekly level currently. When I was a CEO, we kind of like had a typical process: let's create a strategy and hope for the best and see after nine months is anything like has anything changed. Now we can track on a weekly basis. So, so there's many different things that will 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 become better.
0: When, so you're where seeing if there's hard. micro movements
2: towards
1: achieving your strategy just yes. um, day to day week to week i love it exactly love it. and especially helping people to succeed i think that's a really critical angle because data can be also really strong and we don't want to create a kind of like control mechanism we want to help people to succeed
2: i think i think i think you're going to actually create a, a a tinder for employees and uh, <laughs> roles that they can do in the organization so they can match up and find. A role they love. I love that. That's great. Listen, guys, thank you so much for, uh, again, being so transparent and open about your own culture, uh, for giving people the opportunity to download that culture handbook. They'd be mad not to do it. It's at uh, futurist.com and uh, learn so much about what you guys are doing. Continued success, continued uh, improvement as ever and uh, continue and keep challenging uh, the norms out there and uh, showing the way for
0: uh, workplaces to be really healthy in the future. Thank you both very much. Thank you. Thank you. John. What a wonderful interview to inspire people to do things differently. My thanks to Thomas and Maria at Futurist. Keep up the good work. Next up on the Work Healthy podcast, we talk addiction with Dr. Anna Lemke, author of the New York Times bestseller, Dopamine Nation. It's really scary, but really insightful. I'm John Ryan. Thanks for listening.